Good morning. My name is Pat Hill. My husband Steve and I have been attending Mansfield Bible Church for approximately two years. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This Amen. is the word of the Lord. You all may be seated as Buckles comes on up. I just want to welcome you again and thank you all for being here. Happy New Year. Um, I pray you all had a great Christmas. If you are new, um, we do have a card in the seat um, pocket that's right in front of you. If you wouldn't mind just filling that out for us and dropping it in the offering box, we would love to get to know you. Um, and so that is all our announcements this morning. Thanks. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Even though the, it hasn't happened yet, it's coming this weekend, obviously. Uh, this is a time of year to start new things, to start afresh. And so I would encourage you to do that. I got a little bit of ringing up here. I don't know if you can hear it. But um, uh, the, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, one of the things that uh, when you think about the new year, you think about new things, I would encourage you to start something new spiritually this year. Uh, either start a reading program and begin. You, maybe you started one last year to get too far. Well, start again. 
Uh, maybe it's, uh, uh, we've been, uh, Susan and I have uh, for the last couple of years done the Bible recap and we're thinking, okay, let's do something new this year. And so we're going to read through the New Testament this year and use a different plan. And so just do something that, that really grows you, that gets you into God's word, gets you into prayer. Something that, that you can do 5, 10, 15 minutes a day at least. Uh, you can do on your way to work. You can, I mean, we have so many tools, so many resources. Uh, uh, if you've never uh, downloaded the Version Bible, I would encourage you to start there. Download the Version Bible onto your phone. And there are, I mean, I, uh, they even got Swahili if you want to do Swahili, but uh, they have all sorts of versions of the Bible. You can listen to them read. You can listen to the scriptures being read and you'll learn a lot by just hearing someone else read the scriptures to you. They have a different cadence, different words stand out that they say, and you go, oh, wow, I don't remember that word being there, and it's because they read it rather than you reading it, because you read it the same, or typically the same every time. Use this time, this, this year, start something new spiritually. I know we want to start new things like diets. That's one of the things I'm going to start this year, so you can pray for me. Uh, I love food. <laughs> Uh, I just love to eat food. And so uh, I, it's one of the areas that I, I want to work on this year in terms of just... So use this as a time to get started and pray that God would help you to, to finish next year strong. Finish next year with what you started here in the next couple of weeks. And so I want to encourage you in that. Uh, it's, it's not a... I know we, we make pledges and we make dreams and desires and, and plans for the new year and you do them about two weeks and then you quit... Pray that God would help you to continue uh, as you grow. If we, if we never start new things, if we just give up and throw in the towel from the very beginning, uh, uh, well, then we've already lost before we started. We need to have a different mentality about that and just say, God, I'm going to trust you every day. I may miss a few days. I may eat a few things I shouldn't, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin something different here, and I'm going to trust you in it. And so I want to encourage you to do that as we as we start this new year. I want you to turn with me to uh, 1 Peter, and we're looking at chapter 4. Uh, maybe you've already turned there because of the reading. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about that passage today, and it's a very powerful passage, extremely powerful. It's, it's, uh, uh, if we do what this passage says, you're going to have an incredibly blessed year. If we do what this passage says, you will be blessed greatly this year. And so I want you to think about what it means. In fact, he starts out with this very simple phrase. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. The whole focus is going to be on that phrase, same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. What is that? What is the way I'm supposed to be thinking? I know that my thoughts are not his thoughts and my ways are not his ways. God tells us that in scripture. So how do I get my thoughts to be like his thoughts? My ways are going to become like his ways when my thoughts are beginning to line up with his thoughts. But it doesn't happen automatically. I can be the most academic person in the world. I can learn every, every truth in, known to man. But if I don't apply it to my life, if I don't incarnate it in my life, then it's just stuff in my head. I need to live it out. And so it, they work together. But how can I change my way of thinking? And how is my thinking not like this way of thinking? Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same thing. What is he pointing to? Well, you see the word therefore. He says, since therefore, 
Well, he's, he's got an argument going and therefore points us back. You know, the old statement, uh, you see, therefore, you have to ask, what is it? Therefore, it always points back to something earlier that's been said because it's part of this argument. Therefore, it's a conclusion to an argument. So what is he concluding? Well, he talked about in, in verse 18, if you go back to there, it points back to that same Christ suffering. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He suffered in the flesh. And the blessing is, you and I have salvation now available to anyone who will simply believe on Jesus. You believe on Jesus, you have eternal salvation. You believe on Jesus, you are brought to God. You believe on Jesus, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So he suffered so that we could have that blessing of having a relationship with the God of the universe. The very thing, that was the very statement that led me to begin to think more seriously about God. When somebody asked me the question, do you have a personal relationship with God? They didn't say, are you a Christian? If they would have said, are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I grew up in the church. You know, I went to the Episcopal church when I was growing up. And so, yeah, I'm a Christian. I was a Christian in... Uh, 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 not in practice. I was a Christian that was uh, in name a Christian, but uh, you know, uh, I remember somebody saying, you know, just because you stand in a garage, that doesn't make you a car. So if you stand in a church, that doesn't make you a Christian. I was like, oh, wow. Well, what makes you a Christian? You believe on Jesus. That's what brings you to God. Jesus suffered so that that could happen. He did the right thing even though suffering was going to be the result for him, he chose the right. And in fact, we see that earlier. This is not just an argument that he started in verse 18 of chapter 3. He actually started it the chapter before, in chapter 2. In verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called. And you say, well, what is this? You go back one statement, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You do the right thing and suffer. How many of us are going to do the right thing and are willing to suffer for it? Jesus was. He says, for this you have been called. What? Called to what? I like, you know, called to ministry, a call to salvation. Oh, those are great. Called to suffering? I've been called to suffer? Um, God, you got another calling? <laughs> I don't quite like this one. For this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So he wants us to follow in his steps. And what do those look like? He committed no sin. I can't do that one. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Uh, I don't do as well at that one. I try. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Uh, you know, you can probably think about this week and think of times when you kind of wanted to say something back to somebody. Uh, you know, there was this guy, uh, we, we went to, uh, to see Les Miserables and there was this guy in the street and I, he, was, he was setting out cones and the traffic was all crazy and, 
and, uh, and, I, and I pull up and, and I'm upset because I can't figure out how to get in the place, you know, and you got to go down and turn around. Well, I didn't know that. And so I asked this guy and he tells me, well, you missed the signs that are over here. And it's like, I don't care about the signs that I missed. I don't want anybody telling me how I messed up. I want to just figure out how to get there. And so I'm starting to talk to this guy and Susan's over there, you know, tapping me on the shoulder, right? <laughs> You're a believer, aren't you? Yeah, yeah honey, I, I, I get that. Not right now. <laughs> That's the way we think, don't we? Just not right now. You know, let me do this, and then I'll kind of go back into my Christian mode. No. <laughs> no. Arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. And in fact, you see that leading up to here, he gives three examples. The first is Jesus then he gives Noah in verse 20. For 120 years, God says, build an ark. He spends 120 years or 100 years, depending on how you look at it. Some say 30 or 40 years. It still was a long time. Can you imagine spending 100 years of your life? Now, he did live to 600 or more, you know, so uh, it was 600 whenever the, the floods came. So, you know, he had a little more time percentage-wise of his life, but still 100 years building an ark. And people are going, what are you doing with this thing? God told me to build it. Animals are going to show up. Yeah, right. You can imagine the grief he received for that. And then he talks about baptism. In other words, you and me. And, and this you and me, it, you know, some, some will look at this, and we talked about it last time that I, uh, 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 Thanksgiving weekend, it's not that baptism saves me eternally in salvation. It's that it saves me from, uh, from having an evil conscience. Because that's what he says. It's not the removal of the dirt from the body. It's an appeal to God. Actually, a pledge to God. It's the same thing that Paul said whenever he, when, you, when, you, when we do baptism. We say, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. It's a pledge. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. It's a pledge to God. I'm going to follow you. And so he's, he's saying, okay, now let me talk, let's talk about what that looks like. What does it look like to follow him? It looks like being willing to choose the right even when we might suffer for it. I've watched that at different places that I've traveled in the world for ministry. People who are willing to lose a lot, even their lives, because they want to stand up for Jesus. They lose their families in some cases. Uh, there was, there's some people that, that have come to Christ, and in and, and one of the places in the world that I went, they came to Christ, and they were looking at leaving their country because they were receiving such persecution. And we don't have to stay in the suffering. It doesn't mean we have to stay there. But if we're going to stay there, we're going to not be defined by allowing suffering to define us. We're not going to allow people's, our fears to define us. We're not going to allow our passions to define us. That's what he goes on to talk about. He's, he's basically saying, uh, when he goes on, he says uh, in verse um, 1, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin doesn't mean that you're living perfect, sinless life. I mean, I've been a believer for over 50 years. I'm not there yet. Perfect sinlessness. 
There are some that believe you can live that way in this life. I'm not one of those. And they will go to this passage and say, see, you're ceased from sin. No, it, it, what he means here is you cease from choosing sin and being identified by sin. Because otherwise he would not need to say this next thing he says where he says, uh, uh, don't basically do these same things that the world around you is doing, the passions of the flesh. He says, so as to live for the rest of this time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, verse 2, but for the will of God. It means that I'm no longer choosing. I'm going back. You go back to that pledge that he just talked about. Pledged to God for a good conscience. God, I will live for you. I'm no longer going to be identified by my passions. I mean, think about that. This weekend is a time when people live by their passions. They do exactly what some of this list says. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. How much of that happens New Year's Eve? Wow. He says, that doesn't define me. I was headed that direction when I, before I came to Christ. When I first moved down to Austin of all places, a place that's known for being, you know, uh, having a, a, a party attitude, a party spirit, I was moving down there in the 70s. You know, keep Austin weird. I mean, it's still, you know, the kind of the, the mantra for that, that place. I didn't just go down there because I wanted a good education. I went down there because I thought I was going to get to do some other things, to live this kind of lifestyle. And God changed that in an instant when I received Christ. I no longer chose those things. I no longer chose to be, that to be my pursuit in life, but the will of God. And am I perfect in it? No. It's a lifelong process. It's part of this, what's called the sanctification process where we grow to be more and more like Jesus. When I first came to Christ, I read a, a book called The Shadow of the Almighty. How many of you have read that? Not too many in, in here that can raise their hand and say they've read that. I would encourage you to read that book. Get it this year and read it. Shadow of the Almighty. Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote this story or this account, and it's got a lot of just firsthand letters and that kind of thing in it. She wrote this book because her husband was killed because he wanted to reach the Aka Indians in Ecuador. He and four other missionaries wanted to reach them. They flew over this, this area. These, this, these uh, Aka Indians were fierce. They, were, uh, they, were, they, they killed people. They were cannibals. And so they were known to be very dangerous. And, and, and Jim Elliott, her husband, and Nate Saint and the other missionaries wanted to reach them for Christ. And so they began to fly over them with this bucket that hovered from under their plane. And, they, and they learned, the, Nate Saint learned how to fly where the bucket could kind of be still or still enough where they could get stuff out of it. And they would lower down stuff, food stuff or trinkets or different things that they thought that the, these guys might like. And so when they thought that they had established a relationship, they came down, they landed on the beach, and they, they met them. I think it was the second time they met them. They all lost their lives to the Aka Indians. Those who, they were afraid of them, and so they killed all five of them. And you look at that and you think, you know, could it have been different? Why did they do that? Why did this suffering have to take place? 
Well, the blessing was, is Elizabeth Elliot and then Nate Saint's sister went back into the tribe and led them all to Christ. God opened the door by using them. Powerful story. One of the powerful parts of it to me that uh, just impacted me in an amazing way and really grabbed my attention on this issue of am I willing to suffer, am I willing to choose the right? Nate Saint, on that airplane, had a gun. And his son asked him, he had it there for animals. If the, you know, they were attacked by different wild animals, he, he had this gun. And his son asked him, Dad, if the Aukas attack you, will you use it to defend yourself? Good question. Nate Saint looked at his son and said, no, son, I'm not. Because I know where I'm going. And I know where they're going. No, I'm not going to use the gun. Would you do that? Would I do that? That was a powerful thing in my life as an early young believer to ask myself that question, will I choose the right no matter what? No matter what it means for me, will I choose the right even if it means suffering for me? That's a sobering question. And it's exactly what Peter's asking us because there's also another example that's pretty obvious but that we miss. Not only Jesus, not only Noah, no, not only us at our baptizing, pledging to God a good conscience and, a, and that we're going to walk in and follow him, but the very author of these, of these pages who penned these words, Peter, made the same choice. He chose suffering by doing the right. And so the question is, are we going to arm ourselves with this way of thinking? I mean, arm it means that we, uh, it's a military term that we are getting armed and ready. And, and when I first read this, I was thinking of Ephesians 6 and the armor of God and putting on the full armor of God. And that's important. That's key. That's crucial to this. But understanding that what he says next Arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. How we think arms us in a powerful way. How do we think? How are we going to think in our lives? Are we going to live for him? Or are we going to live for ourselves? Are we going to live according to our passions? Are our passions going to drive us? Are our passions the most important thing about us? By our passions, we choose a church. Or by the will of God, we choose a church. By our passions, we choose a, a, a spouse. Or by the will of God, we begin to pray and we look to him and ask him, God, lead me. I mean, you think about everything in life, I have a choice to choose to live according to my passion or according to the will of God. Which is it going to be? And sometimes we allow those around us to influence that decision. Because in verse 4, it says, with respect to this, which he had already talked about, sensualities, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, with respect to this, those are the this, 
They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Debauchery meaning disorderly conduct, meaning just this way of life that's out of control. And they malign you. Now you think about it, why would they even care? Why does somebody else care how I live? Why would they malign the way that I live? Does it make them feel guilty? Does it, do they, does somehow it, it, it's unsettling to them? It's awkward to them if I don't join them? If I say, oh no, I'm out on this one. I don't do those things anymore. That doesn't define my life. Because it defines their life. And in some way, they feel like that they need me to live like they're living in order to feel content with themselves or whatever. So they malign us. How do they do that? Simple. Call us names. Oh, you're a holy roller. You know, you're a, a Magoo. You know, you're a whatever, right? Magoo is one of those ones that I found on Urban Dictionary. I don't know if it's Mr. Magoo, if it goes back to those. I don't know where it goes to. But they're, you know, they're, you're, you're goody two-shoes was one of the terms, uh, old terms that, the, that was used. A lot of newer terms, I'm sure, today for the same thing, right? You're a sissy, uh, you're afraid, you're whatever. They say those kind of things. Why? Why do they call us those names? Because they want us to feel embarrassed about who we are and they want us to join them in what they're doing. So the whole purpose in calling you names is just to get you to do what they're doing. And we have to make that decision in our life. What defines my life? Am I defined by what God defines my life? Or do I allow my passions to define my life? And we all allow some passion to define our life. I allow eating to define my life more than I wish that I did. If I get down, I eat. If, I'm un, uh, if I, uh, I've been, you know, I went through surgery this year and I, and I use that as an excuse. Oh, it's, it's okay for me to eat. I'm healing, right? I need this, uh, to, you know, my body so it can heal. Uh, you know, not, uh, not so much. I mean, we do all these different things where we feel like that, that, that food either becomes or alcohol becomes or something becomes and it becomes to define us. And we define ourselves by that. And we have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to change it? Am I going to choose the right no matter what? Or am I going to only choose the right when it's comfortable and when people don't say bad things about me? They malign me. How do they malign me? They don't invite me to their stuff. It's a simple thing, right? You're left out. All your friends are invited, you're not. Pretty obvious. Why do they do that? They want you to do what they're doing. And see, we have to make a decision in our life. Am I willing to suffer these small things? Because if I'm not willing to suffer these small things, I will never choose the larger things like Nate Saint had to do. I'll never make that decision. I'll always decide... On the, on the, because my passions are pushing me also. It's not like they're not pushing me in a direction that my passions already want me to go. I already have those strong upon me. I have to change my way of thinking. It has to be a different way of thinking. 
He goes on in verse 6, he says, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. Now that statement makes it kind of sound like, are we at a graveyard preaching the gospel? No, he's talking about spiritual death and spiritually alive. Because you see that in the, next in the passage. He says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, or formerly dead, that though, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So he's talking about living in the spirit, so he's talking about spiritual death there as well. And so this idea of living in the spirit the way God does. In other words, the same way of thinking in verse 1, the same way of living in verse 6. And then he begins to talk about, you have a contrast between don't live this way, verses 2 through 5, but live this way, verses 7 and following. He says, this is the way to live your life. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, remember therefore, it's pointing back. It's this contrasting idea. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Exactly the opposite of this drunkenness and um, living in debauchery, which is out of control. Self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He doesn't explain that one. I wish he would explain that a little bit more. What do you mean by that, Peter? And then he gives us several more things. <clears throat> Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean, love covers a multitude of sins? It means when people sin against us, we forgive them. Why? Because of the love of Christ constraining us. Do you have somebody that needs to be forgiven? Do it now. Forgive them now. Right now before the Lord, just forgive them. Because you have a tie to them because you haven't forgiven them. You have a bitterness that's growing in your heart because you haven't forgiven them. It's impacting your spiritual life, your prayers. When you hang on to a grievance against someone else, forgive them now. Start the new year fresh. Forgive them now. If you get the opportunity, speak to them. But there's some situations that you'll not be able to approach. Forgive them anyway. Jesus gave us a perfect example when he was on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. Who was the them? All of us. All of those who nailed him to the cross. All of those who are walking by and, and saying things about him, maligning him as he's hanging on the cross and suffering. Not offering compassion, but offering abuse. Hurling abuses at him, even as he hangs there dying. And his words are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The people who sin against us, they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize how it's hurting us. Sometimes it's people close to us. During these times of year, we're with family, and there's people that have hurt us in our families. Forgive them. 
Doesn't mean you accept everything they're doing. Forgive them for their hurting you, for their going against you, for their things that they said against you, for their maligning of you, for their leaving you out, for leaving you alone, all those different things. Forgive them. And you'll be set free. It will set your heart free. That will be part of the blessing that you receive. And you'll find that you respond to them differently. You're able to love them more. You're able to have compassion. And you don't, you're not just holding this against them. Trust me. You know, I, I, I turned 69 this year. In my 69 years, I've never found that forgiveness and forgiving someone is a bad thing. I've seen so many times when it's a mistake not to do so. Love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It's true in marriage too. Marriage is made up of two awfully good forgivers. <laughs> right? And it, and it takes both. It's not just one. It's both of us forgiving one another of any things that we do to one another. Sometimes innocently, sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes it's a sin of omission rather than commission. We didn't do anything, we just forgot to do something that was important. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. Notice this next phrase without grumbling. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we show hospitality. Why well, do I have to make this meal? You know, they're sick and, they're in the hospital and I've got to make this meal for them. You know, and, and so we're over there and it's like without grumbling. Oops. <laughs> yeah, we, we love to serve, but are we going to do it with a good heart? We're going to change the way that we look at it. He goes on and says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Speak the word of God to one another. I don't know about you, but it's so comforting to me when somebody, I'm struggling with something and somebody sends me a verse. And I read it and just go, wow, thank you for that. I needed that right now. Speaking the oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies. You run out of strength? Yeah, all the time. The strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified. That's the focus. The focus is not my passions, but his glory. That he is glorified, that he is the one that people draw attention to, that people look at me and they see Jesus. One of the things that drew me to Christ was not the words that these guys were speaking, but I saw Jesus in these guys. They weren't perfect guys, they were other college students like me. But they loved Jesus, there was something about them, I just couldn't explain it. And part of it was this way of thinking. They, they had chosen Jesus. They had chosen to suffer. They had chosen to speak to one another about Jesus, even though they were going to receive grief about it. We even went door to door, knocking on doors. I had a lot of doors slammed in my face. 
I had a lot of people who just made up stuff to get me to go away. We shared our faith because we loved them and we wanted to see them come to Christ and we saw a lot of people come to Christ during the times that I was at, at the University of Texas. On our lives, we need to think about the same way of thinking. Am I willing to focus on the gospel? Am I willing to know that the gospel is the solution? Am I willing to, to know that, that everybody around me needs Jesus just as much as I do? And I'm willing to suffer for it in order to be known as a person who follows Christ. That's a hard one. It's not easy. I know that. I know that what I'm saying today is not an easy thing to do. It's not something we can do on our own. We can only do by the strength that he provides. And to be honest with you, if God's not in it, he's not going to be glorified. Because they'll just be saying, oh, yeah, Greg's this great guy. Because he does all these things for people. He's going to say that about you. Put your name in that place. Oh, you're a great person. What? They don't know why you do those things. They need to know why. It's because of Jesus. This is not an easy thing to say. This is not an easy passage to preach. But it's true. It's the word of God speaking to our hearts. As we start this year, my question to you is, are, are, are you willing to say, I will choose the right no matter what? God, fill in the blank. I will choose the right. I will choose what you say is right, not what I think is right, because everyone does what's right in their own eyes, right? That's not the right that he's talking about. The will of God is what he's talking about, that I'm going to follow Jesus, that I'm going to be with him. Are we going to choose that? Would we choose to make the choice that Nate Saint made? Because we're all asked to make those kind of choices throughout life. And yet so many times we let people's maligning of us to define us. We let our passions define us. And we begin to pursue those with all of our heart in our life. Those become the most important things. I'm not defined by my teams winning or losing. You know, here we are in the college football playoffs and my team, the Longhorns, are in the, in, in the final four. I had to say that right out loud. It's been a long time coming. But I'm not defined whether they win or lose, no matter how I feel after the game. I'm defined by how I walk with Jesus. That's what I'm defined by. And so am I going to live for him? Am I going to choose the right? I would encourage you this year, starting now, to say, God, I, I'm going to choose you every time. And I, I don't even know what I'm going to face this year, but I'm gonna, I've already predecided. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to choose you. And then pray and watch what God does because there's blessing that comes. Here's the neat thing about it is that if you look back a little bit further than, than uh, for Christ suffered for sins, you look back in verse 8 of chapter 3. In fact, verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, which is what we tend to do, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. I said we were called to suffering, we were also called to bless. 
that we may obtain a blessing. We get blessed because we bless. Jesus did the right. We were blessed by salvation. Noah did the right. His family was blessed with salvation. We choose to uh, walk in newness of life and we are blessed because we have his salvation. We choose him. We choose to have his strength working in our lives even now. In verse 14 it says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Blessing is coming. Suffering may be now. Blessing is coming. Suffering may be now, but blessing is coming. Amen? Do you believe that? Because even though we suffer, some of the most blessed things I have seen in this life have come after suffering. There's times that, and just a flood, even as I say that, a whole flood of things, of, of situations come into my mind as I say that. And sometimes God has actually allowed me to see, hey, here's what I'm doing. I just want you to know that I'm doing this and this one, but I, all these other ones that you don't know about, I'm doing something special there too. Do I believe that? Yes. By his grace, by faith, not always by sight. Because I know he is good. I know my God. I know who he is. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He is the one who is all goodness. He is the one who is all righteousness, all justice. He is, he is more the Alpha and the Omega. He is everything that I need. And he will be glorified if I would simply choose to follow him. You know, I was... Um, I read this illustration about a, a person who had a, uh, some carrots and a hard-boiled egg and some tea. And they, and they were talking about suffering and they were saying, you know, when you boil these three things, the carrots become soft and weak, the egg becomes hard-boiled, but the tea flavors the water. You see, when we're involved in suffering... And we choose what God asks us to do. We're like the tea that begins to color the suffering that we've even faced. And it gives meaning to the suffering because God's involved. It, it, without God, if there were no God, suffering would be meaningless. And all the philosophers would be correct. But because there is a God, he gives suffering meaning. And a meaning that sometimes we don't fully understand. But from time to time, he pulls back the curtain and allows us to see it. When we choose the right, and the boiling comes, the suffering comes, instead of being defined by that suffering, we begin to change the whole equation because of what God is doing. It's one of the reasons why whenever I was diagnosed with cancer a year ago, it's been a year, and praise God, I'm still here. Praise God, I, I'm still clean, right? Amen? Because I didn't so far allow this, this cancer to define me, God has used it in people's lives. God used it when I went to, to Pakistan and, and the people were, were, were touched by the fact that I was at such peace. And that peace wasn't something that I mustered up. 
but something God gave me. And because I didn't allow it to define me, God used it, and there, were, there have been a number of people that have been impacted because of that. God allowed my suffering to color the waters of the people around me of my circumstances, and it impacted people in a positive way, in an amazing way. May we get God's way of thinking. May we think like he thinks. May we arm ourselves, it's because it protects us. When we arm ourselves with that way of thinking, it protects us from self-pity. It protects us from, from being defined by passions and everything else around us. It, it protects us from, from having people's maligning change our uh, direction in life. We're not impacted by any of that because we are armed, we are protected because we begin to adopt his way of thinking about what suffering is all about. And we will never be the same. And you'll see the hand of God in some ways that you never imagined you would. We miss the hand of God because we don't choose that. We miss seeing God work because we choose something else. When we choose the way of suffering and begin to embrace it and say, Lord, if this is what it is, this is what it is. I'm going to die of something. And we just move forward into our suffering. God does some things that sometimes only you see and you can tell other people and they can't grasp it the way that you have. Because when you see God's handwork in a first-hand experience because you chose him, there's nothing, nothing in the world quite like it. You will be blessed. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you even though this message, even though this word from Peter is hard, it's powerful, life-changing. May we live for you. Help us to choose the right. Help us to always choose you, never to choose our passions. And Lord, I pray that this year would be a new year for some. I know that there's many here who may be going through suffering right now, even as I speak. Help them, Lord, to choose you. Help them to see what the right is that they need to choose. And help them to choose it. And Lord, may you bless them. May they see your hand of blessing in a way that just powerfully moves their heart. Closer to you. The reason that Jesus died for us, to bring us to you. Lord, may we always be more near to you as we follow you. Because when we're following you, we're going close to you. We're going toward you instead of away from you. Lord, I know that we will be closer. Lord, help us. We need your strength and we can't do this on our own. We need you to do this in us. We need you to change us. We need you to make it different, Father. We're, our thoughts, we, we think we know how to think, and we don't. Change us, Lord. Change our thoughts. Make them more like yours. Help us to see your word in a way that isn't just focused on us, but focused on you and your glory. Lord, I pray this year, I pray this year that everyone here will see your hand in some way 
in a special way, especially in the area of their suffering. And I pray that they would not only feel, uh, be closer to you, but actually feel closer to you. Even though we don't live by our feelings, Lord, I pray for that for them, for us. We come before you together, laying down everything that we think we know about life. We lay it down before your feet. Because how we think about life is skewed by our passions. Lord, don't, please don't let us be defined by those, but be defined by following your will. And may you be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.